Y'all turn in your Bible to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. Thank you guys for this morning. It's good stuff. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17. It's where we'll be today. Knocking out several verses from Paul's letter. We A lot of the time, the last several weeks, we've been kind of working our way through the book of Acts. And a huge part of the uh, story of the book of Acts is Paul's relationship to Ephesus. And so it's been interesting to kind of work through that and his departing Ephesus and going into Jerusalem and eventually to Rome, and then to look back using the letter to see how Paul communicates with this church and with Timothy as well. Um, so we're going to be uh, in this passage today, Ephesians four seventeen through 24. While you're doing that, actually, I'm pretty sure you all have already found it. So now that you've done that, uh, let me set the, set the, the, the foundation here, poor slab. So when I, be, I became a Christian at, at the age of 10. And a huge part of my my early faith journey was rooted in my experience in student student ministry at First Baptist Church of of Cleveland, Mississippi. So Cleveland, Mississippi, really small town, three thousand, four thousand people at the time, and uh, you know, right in the heart of town is First Baptist, which is right next to First Methodist, and then you know the Presbyterians kind of we kind of tuck them around in the back in Mississippi, you know, around there. But all of us kind of right there in the center of, of town, and the student ministry at First Baptist, and the music ministry at First Baptist was super important to my my upbringing, um, and we were at the church constantly. On Sundays in particular, so as a as a teenager, I would be there at you know three thirty for ensemble practice, and then five o'clock for choir, and then five forty five for snack supper, and then you know six o'clock for youth group Bible study, and then church at seven, and then one Sunday night a month it was Sunday night after church snack. Like we just ate our way <laughs> through Sundays, you know, all the way through thing, and um, and then of course Wednesday night, and it's and it's not as if. In any of those environments, my youth pastor or even our music minister wasn't taking the time to teach, teach the Bible. It's not like we weren't preaching on Wednesday night and Sunday morning. It's not like those things weren't taking place. It's just that as far as my own development was concerned, I was there and I was a part of what's going on because I liked the people that I was around and we were having fun together and it was wholesome and I just liked being around good, nice, kind people. Like that was the extent of my, but the, the result of that is that the extent of my my faith um, was behavioristic or moralistic, and I and it was just about it was more my social tribe than there was any kind of theology or knowledge of God or who He was and what He's done. I don't even know that I could have verbalized the gospel for you as a seventeen year old, but I was a I was a good kid. You know, I was I was a good kid. Then I went to college where I didn't have parents. I didn't have any of those friendships or relationships to be a part of. But I, I did, by the Lord's grace, find myself immersed into the, the Baptist Collegiate Ministry of Furman University. And um, a lot of wonderful things, but a lot of it was the same as like having this youth group until I was 19 or 20 years old. And one of my friends said, you know, you really ought to read this book by C.S. Lewis called Mere, Mere Christianity. And I was like, what is that? What do, you, what do you mean? No, no, really, you really ought to read this, this book because there's, there's something that you need to understand about. The, I, I don't even remember her motive, but I just remember reading this book and having a red marker and underlining 95% of the words through this book. And it, and it, and it opened my eyes to the fact that to know God 
is to know about God. You see what I'm saying? It was that there are actual facts, that theology is a thing, that the, the, the reasoning of who God is, is, is real. And then the same friend took me into the only Christian bookstore in Greenville, South Carolina, and I bought a study Bible. I had not been reading my Bible. I was a Christian, but I had not been reading my Bible. And then I opened this big, fat, blue, Zondervan, some lesser publisher, NIV study Bible, where there were all these commentary and notes and maps, maps and archaeology pictures and all this stuff. And it just, and the Bible, and Jesus is saying crazy stuff. And it was all was tied to the old, I, my, and I couldn't believe it. I had gone through whole years of being a Christian, being involved in the church, and it was all about behavior. It was all about moral uh, behavior. It was all about uh, the social life, and the, all of which were really good things and kept me out of a lot of trouble. But there was a separation between my behavior and my social life and actually knowing God, actually knowing about God. So to be sure... You can know a lot about God and not know God. You can do a lot for God and not know God. You can experience God and not know God. But if you genuinely know God, you will know a lot about Him and you will do much for Him and you will experience Him. And I think that that is a synopsis of what the text we're going to look at today. This text highlights the relationship between what we know to be true about God and how we live for Him as a result. So let's stand together and read Ephesians 4, 17 through, through 24. Paul says this, Therefore I say this and testify in the Lord, you should no longer live as the Gentiles live in the futility of Of their thoughts. They are darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them and because of the hardness of their hearts. They became callous and gave themselves over to promiscuity for the practice of every kind of impurity with a desire for more and more. But that is not how you came to know Christ. Assuming you heard about him and were taught by him as the truth is in Jesus to take off your former way of life, the old self that is corrupted by deceitful desires, to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, the one created according to God's likeness in righteousness and purity of the truth. This is the word of the Lord. All right, be seated, be seated. So I, I hope that in reading through this text and in listening, listening to the text, you see a theme. You see a theme with words like thoughts, understanding, ignorance, knowing, minds, things of, things of this nature. In this text, Paul is drawing up a contrast between the unsaved and the saved life. And he wants us to see how important our minds are in this relationship. Paul wants us to beware of the power of ignorance in our life, and he wants us to embrace the power of truth to liberate us in the gospel. 
In other words, the daily work, Paul, says that, Paul is saying that the daily work of the Christian is to preach the truth of the gospel to ourselves, to grow in our understanding in the truth of the gospel on a regular basis because what we know about God leads to how we live for the God that we know. And that means there's stuff we got to know. And, there, and, there's, and there's a person we got to know. There's a God that we got to know. And we have to preach that to ourselves over and over and over and over until we die. That's what, that's, that is, that's what it means to grow in Christ. So on, on, <clears throat> on Tuesday, I flew uh, at 5.30 in the morning. I, I hopped on a plane and flew to Charlotte to see my brother-in-law, who's also my orthodontist. And so it's, you know, you know how American Airlines will, or any other airline will say, you know, if you'll sign up for our credit card or, or get a mileage account or whatever, trips start at just 6,500 miles, and then you try and book a flight, and it's like 50,000 miles for your flight, right, every time. Well, this is actually one of those flights that's 6,500 miles. And so it's great. I just, I hopped on the plane. I flew over to, I had my 30-minute appointment. I went right back to the Charlotte Airport. And, um, and, I, and I, I was hoping to catch the earlier flight, but it was booked. So I'd sit there for two hours in the airport wearing my mask and all that kind of stuff. So <laughs> I'm sitting in the airport, and I've got to go to the restroom. I go to the restroom, and, um, and there's an attendant working in the restroom, and he's standing against the wall, and he's in, his, he's in his 60s, and he's just like, you know, this. He's just exhausted, but he's talking out loud to himself. And it, like I walk up there, as I'm walking, I see him standing against the wall, and he's just you know sitting there, and his mouth is moving. He's talking, but then I get closer, and I can hear him. And he's talking to himself over and over again. It's kind of creepy, right? It's kind of creepy. But then I realized this is what he was saying. He was sitting against the wall. I got closer, and he goes, "Welcome to the Charlotte International Airport. Charlotte is the 15th largest city in the United States, home to the uh, blah blah all these sports teams, and blah 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 blah." And I realized. He wasn't talking to himself. He was resuscitating and speaking along with the PA system in the Charlotte International Airport where he probably worked for many, many, many years. And he, and he, was, he was just so out of it. Out loud, in the men's restroom, he was reciting the PA system every five minutes coming on, welcoming people who just landed into the city of Charlotte. I mean, it was just grating on a bit, and it was kind of creepy to go to the bathroom with this guy standing on the wall. Can you understand how weird this was? It was just, it was weird, right? So when I say preaching the truth of the gospel to yourself, I'm not talking about that kind of talking to yourself. Okay, I mean preaching truth, telling yourself things about Jesus and about God that are true over and over again in order to resist the corrosion of ignorance that is coming at us and lead yourself to actual liberation of the gospel. That's what Paul wants us to do. And the way that this is teased out in the text is a slippery slope. Look at verses 17 through 19. There's a slippery slope that Paul talks about. He says, I I say this and I testify in the Lord. You should no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thoughts. 
They are darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them and because of the hardness of their hearts. They became callous and they gave themselves over to promiscuity for the practice of every kind of impurity with a desire for more and more. So there's a slippery slope here. It begins in verse 18 with a hardness of heart, which is a a whole person disposition of, I'm just not going to do this anymore, which leads to a darkness of your mind in verse 18, which leads to callousness in your position and in your posture and in your mind, which leads then to a recklessness of behavior. So that's that's the slippery slope. It starts with, I'm, I'm just going to be stubborn about this, which leads to you allowing and then giving your mind to things that are contrary to the gospel, which leads to a callousness of behavior toward the gospel, which leads to a recklessness in your life uh, in, in, with regard to your behavior and your mind toward the Lord. So it's a, it is a slippery, it's a slippery slope. When I was in high school, I had the opportunity to go skiing in real mountains north, in Colorado, not North Carolina. Real mountains, Colorado. And I was, of course, terrified. The first time you see the Rocky Mountains in winter in particular is terrifying. I'm going to do what? I mean, it's terrifying. But after a few days, uh, I got really comfortable on any beginner or intermediate slope. When you go there, they've got them, like the green ones are for are the beginner and the blue or the intermediate. And then you've got black and then like black diamond and then like double black diamond and then like cliff jumping, right? They've got, they've got this whole like, you know, thing. And I got really good on the green ones and the blue ones. I got, I got super comfortable. Also got really familiar with the environment, like the map of the slopes, like kind of had it memorized because I like maps and I had it, you know, kind of memorized. So one day later on in the week, I was, I was just zipping along my first trip, you know, to Colorado three or four days in. I'm like, whoo, I know where I'm going. I know what I'm doing. And I missed a turn and I ended up on an expert slope which, you know, if this is a green one, this is an expert one. And it was full of moguls, those little bumps, you know, just those little, little things. And I ended up on this thing, and I made it about 10 feet before I collapsed and got hurt and, like, rolled and bumped and bounced my way down to the bottom of this thing. See, what happened is I got really comfortable, and then I got really cocky, and then I got really foolish, and then I got hurt. And that's what Paul is describing in this passage. Through the hardness of heart, the darkness of mind, a callousness, and a recklessness. It's a slippery slope of sin. And the root of this is in our mind. It's in the way that we think. It's in our thinking and by our thinking. If you look really closely... At verses 20 through 24, you can see that to become a Christian, to become a follower of Jesus, is to have your thinking transformed. This is why I told you my personal story, because I think it was then that I was like, this is how God's going to make me more like Him. It's it's in how I am thinking about Him and what I know about Him. Look at verse 20 through 24, and I want you to underline all of the words that are related to thought, related to mind, related to understanding. But that is not how you came to know Christ. Assuming you heard about Him, assuming you were taught 
by Him as the truth is in Jesus to take off your former way of life, the old self that is corrupted by desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, the one created according to God's likeness in righteousness and in purity of the truth. You see it? We, we, first, we came to know Christ and we have heard of Christ and we have been taught in Christ. So all the stuff about the mind is all coming around what we, what we know about Christ, what we've heard of Him and what we've been taught in Him. In other words, Jesus is the teacher. Jesus is the teaching. And Jesus is the context in which the teacher is doing all the teaching. So how did, the, how did the church in Ephesus come to know Christ? How did they hear of Christ? How were they taught in Christ? You had a person, Paul and others, who presented historical facts, knowledge about Jesus, and they did it through scriptures, they did it through the Bible, and they kept on talking about the implications of these facts, and they did that through the scriptures. So teaching and reading and the facts and the truth are huge, huge huge when it comes to living as Christians in this world. We don't, we don't learn about Jesus and then go, well, that's awesome. I believe that. Now I'm going to go off and, and, and just try very hard to live this moralistic life that resembles the kind, maybe sort of when it's convenient life of that Jesus lived. No, no, no. We continue to invest. We continue to learn. We continue to grow. We continue to tell ourselves the truth of the gospel over and over again through the scriptures because what we know about God leads to the transformation of our minds so that we live in a way that the gospel is true. Now, I'm, I am aware of and I am a fan of all kinds of teaching methods and learning methods and audiobooks and I, I, I'm all that. I, I'm, I'm a podcast. Yes, 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 yes. I also understand that not everybody likes to sit for hours and read books and listen to lectures and blah, 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 blah. But here's the thing. Christians can't be lazy about how to learn and grow. We don't, we don't, get, that, we don't get that privilege, right? Listen, listen, these are terrifying stats about our culture. A third of high school graduates will never read another book once they graduate high school. Forty-two percent of college graduates will not read a book after they go to college. Eighty percent of U.S. families, this, isn't, this is about a 10-year-old stat, so it may be worse, it may be better. Eighty percent of U.S. families did not buy or read a book in 2010. Seventy percent of U.S. adults have not physically been into a bookstore in the last five years. Fifty-seven percent of new books are admittedly not read to completion. Guilty. 100% guilty. I'm 100% guilty of that 57% stat. Each day in the U.S., the average adult spends four hours watching television, three hours listening to music or talk radio, and 14 minutes reading magazines. This is like before Twitter and social media were really gaining just a ton of esteem. This is not about illiteracy. All these people can read. This is about illiteracy, the choosing not to, right? I get this excuse all the time, and the Bible's very important. I get it. There's a lot there. There's a lot to unpack. But so is calculus. So is personal finance. All things that we are managing to pull off, right? We have the ability but not the desire 
we may have the desire, but we don't make the time. We make time for other things that are much easier for us. And the gospel has been revealed to us in a written word, and it requires the transformation of the mind is not going to come about easily, is it? The Spirit has all the power, and He's given us all of the truth, and there's, there is something that sits on us as far as our responsibility to give ourselves to the thing where God has revealed, God has revealed Himself to us through the written Word. Some of us are not able to read. We have relationships with people who can teach us. But we just can't be indifferent, right? Paul's whole point is that Christians are different than the world and we become and we stay so by renewing of our minds, by teaching ourselves the truth of the gospel. And this is a really cognitive exercise. If the primary way that God has chosen to reveal Himself is through a written word, what are we telling Him when we say, I'm just not much of a reader? I can't get comfortable with that. I can't get comfortable with that. So it's a slippery slope. There's, there's Ignorance is powerful and truth is powerful. And it's a slippery slope how we, how we get there. But we're transformed in and by our, our thinking. That's how, we're, that's how we're transformed. Several years ago, I went to a, a pastor's conference. Several, like seven or eight years ago, I went to a conference for, for work where I wasn't a, when I wasn't pastoring, but it was a conference for pastors. And uh, this one of the pastors that was talking... It's really fascinating. He, he planted and had a very, very large church in Vegas, ministering to the entertainers and the performers and the experience uh, providers of all things Vegas, okay? All the things Vegas. So you could, it's a powerful ministry. Talk about a ministry to the Gentiles. This is a powerful ministry. And the, it was very difficult plowing at first. The Lord blessed, and there were you know, thousands of people that were. Uh, saved and are part of this church. Well, as the church grew, you can imagine if you are very talented in lighting and media and music and illusions and all the things that come with entertainment, can you imagine what you could do in a church service uh, with all of the lighting and the trapeze and the media? And And so it got to the point where people were coming to church in this environment because it was providing as good of a Sunday as good of an entertainment experience as anything you'd have to pay for in Vegas. Why? Because they're all from Vegas. And they're all giving themselves to this incredible experience in the name of, in the, name of the Lord, right? Trying, it was in a tr- purely attractional ministry environment. And the pastor was, it, was admired for his leadership and for giving these people and for the experience. And then he, he had this epiphany. He and the elders of his church had this epiphany. What are we doing what are we doing? We are, we are now, it's very different than how this started. Our trajectory has changed. Our methodology has changed. What's, what's happened? We now have people coming to church as consumers in seek of or in search of an experience that temporarily satisfies and amuses and distracts from their pain rather than coming because they're hearing the gospel which truly satisfies and transforms their lives. Isn't that that incredible? And so they go, they went straight, plain Jane. 
they're doing the same thing that we're doing up here on Sunday morning. Now, granted, there are 10,000 people off and on, and granted, the lights are a little bit different, and the sound is a little bit different, and, and the seats are a little bit different, and the, all, all that. But you, but you know what they're not doing? They are not providing a show. They are providing truth. Truth. I thought it was an incredible journey of someone who saw the need for a transformation of the mind, even in a culture where you think that you're providing a transformation through experience. This pastor understood that if we want to have a heart or affections that are moved for love of God and lives that show it, then we can't just bypass our minds and go straight for emotion and go straight for experience. We can know a lot about God, and we cannot know God. We can do a lot for God and not know God. We can experience God and not know God. But if we genuinely know God, we will know a lot about Him, and we will do much for Him, and we will experience Him. So I would just invite you this morning to know God. He's revealed Himself here in this, in a written word that we can grasp. We can, we can spend the time and give our hearts to it and pray for Him to open the truth to our minds and transform us to live and look more like the one who came to save us. Let's, let's, let's pray together for that to that end. Um, Father, we are, we are grateful to have this, this written word that for the Christians in this room, our, um, our thinking has changed. As, as Paul wrote to the, about the Gentiles, that, that for many there was, a, there was a lot of futility, a lot of wisdom, a lot of entertainment, a lot of things to give our minds to that weren't transformative, but the gospel is transformative. So we're grateful, Father, that we have um, the truth and the history and the facts of who Jesus is and what He has done to read and study, to, sit, to have the stories of it all unfold in real time. Um, and to be able to learn and grow from that, that your spirits provide. Lord, we're, we're grateful because it's through the study of the truth of the gospel that our minds are transformed and that's where our lives change. And that's where experience and that's where affection comes from through the transformation of our minds. So we ask, Lord, that we would give ourselves to the, to the knowledge of you to grow in knowing God, to grow in knowing where you have spoken to us in the study of your word together in our community groups, our Sunday morning classes, VBS, wherever those things come about, Lord, give us, give us a hunger for where you have spoken. And as a result, Lord, would you transform us into people who look like the one who has saved us. That's our prayer, Lord, today. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.